find grace, mercy, I'm sorry, and grace to help in our time of need. So we thank you, Lord, for blessing us, helping us and keeping us. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Amen. If there is a Gracie here, be blessed. I don't know why I said Gracie, but <laughs> my words got a little twisted up. So, so today uh, we're going to talk about the fact that we have strong consolation. We have strong consolation. We're going to talk about that term, what it means, what it means as far as Christianity is concerned. Differentiates us from any other religion that ever was and ever will be. And so you need to understand that. <clears throat> Some of the questions that I, I kind of ponder sometimes, and I put these before the Lord, and, and uh, hopefully we'll answer those from my heart, and probably there are many of the same questions you might have from time to time. And when you go to witness to people... You know what you feel inside and you know what you believe. But do you know that there's a reason for that? There's a reason for that. There's there's a reason that <clears throat> Christianity has the impact on believers worldwide that it does. Christianity is probably the one religion that is is known to exist on all continents of the earth. So it's not, you, you can say this in that respect, if that's true, then it's not a cultural religion. See, it's not tied to a culture. It goes beyond languages, that's for sure, <clears throat> because we know that people of different languages are Christians and can accept Christ. It's not something that appeals to us because of the way we were brought up or the way that we um, think about things as far as our our native culture group is concerned it's <clears throat> it's I would say a belief system in a discipline that cuts across lines of race age culture background it's not that this appeals only to people who were born in it and and converts have a hard time getting in like say Jewish religion that's that's something that's kind of a traditional born into concept of believing. So Christianity is not that. So there is something different about us. There's something different about our belief. Why do have so many people received Christ and after they receive Christ, they are able to follow him and stay faithful and true to the faith throughout their lives? This is a faith that <clears throat> takes persons from one uh, aspect of life to the next. How is it that as a Christian, we understand that we serve a forgiving God to the degree that if we fail our God? Huh? Now, I know we don't ever want to. We don't like to admit to. But we know it's very easy to step across the bathroom floor and slip funny and then something jumps out your mouth that don't glorify. You understand what I'm saying? Is Paul said they easily beset us. Come on now. So <laughs> you know what I mean. We treading on thin water at best, yet somehow we know we have not totally failed him 
we know, amen, there is a way back in, don't we? And that's universally accepted by us as Christians. Even though we have groups that try to pervert the truth about Christianity, true Christianity it anticipates difficulties and makes pre-preparation for them. Other religions only tell you how to appease that God and they don't have things that, that deal with real life. There's no history of real life situations and how that God has dealt with them and how he will deal with you. There's nothing like that in any other known religion. There are many religions that have come and gone. They have had their moment uh, on the the uh the stage of history and passed on but yet christianity lives on so there is something very different about us and what we believe and i believe it has to do with the way our our um relationship with our god is set up and and it's inherent in and in how this relationship is structured so we're going to attempt to talk about and answer some of these questions it says, uh, one of the questions I ask is, what happens when we make our profession of faith in him? People make professions of faith. I'm a Buddhist. I'm a, that's a profession of faith now. It's not like what we do, but it is a, 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 uh, an attempt to uh, please that particular God. Is there a different dynamic that goes on inside of the Christian or between him and God that causes us to be able to have this belief throughout all ages, all phases, all aspects of life and then hold on to it. I know that there are Christians that I've seen over the years and many of you know them when from churches you've been in the past that they <clears throat> are on fire, what we call on fire for God. And then you don't see them anymore. You may not see them for 10, 15 years. And then at some point in their life, they get, you know, like slapped out of it somehow. Something happens. Now, faithful people don't know what happens. And you don't want to know what happens. Because you don't want to backslide. Why is that? We serve a God that we don't want to disappoint. And yet we know we do. And yet we know we will. But there's something in us that desires to please him. But if we don't please him, we know that there's no penalty that we can't get over. It's not like the Buddhist. He don't know what Buddha would do if he don't make them chants for him five times a day, whatever. Or if he point toward the wrong direction, you know, it's always over here. You understand what I'm saying? There's nothing to cover him in case of his loss or his misdeed but Christianity does have that what spiritual dynamic occurs within us that causes us to continue to follow and obey an invisible God now the rest of them have images and idols you know they can look at and they can can believe that there's some power there or there's some life there but we serve an invisible God we know that he he put his son in an earth suit and the son looked like us but the father we've never seen but yet we will <clears throat> sell all we we know that there are people who hear a voice that tells them 
I want you to go here, there, and everywhere. And they'll sell everything they have and get up and move to no man's land, following an invisible God. So there's got to be something in this faith, in this relationship, that is different and sets us apart from the others. So that when you are called to give an account or give an explanation for why you do what you do and why you feel the way you feel, you need to know that God has made provision for the way that we follow him. It comes through his provision. You got me? This is not something that you and I can do on our own. There isn't anybody who's more devout or more committed than the next person. You know, from minute to minute. But this is something in the provision that he has made that sets Christianity apart from other religions. The other thing you have to understand or question is why is God's word enough for us? Why is, is just reading the Bible, why does that excite people? Why does that leave you with a sense of fulfillment when you read through the pages and you find something that does something on the inside of you? Why is that enough for you? You see, you don't have to see him. You don't have to visit heaven, but but you know that's your home and you're expecting to go there one day. You know, not not real soon. Most of us, uh, we all and that's kind of interesting. The home that you live in on earth, you can't wait to get there sometimes. You sit there at work and say, oh, Lord, one more hour and I can go put my feet up, huh? take my whatever off and, you know what I'm saying, and, and just, you know, get to be myself and be comfortable. But we have a, a final heavenly home that we believe we will dwell in eternally with our God, yet we're not in a hurry to get there. But we know there's a peace and a comfort, a final rest, peace and comfort there. So we know we have that, yet we can be contented every day in an alien and a foreign land, in a land that's hostile to us. In a land that if you could imagine yourself going past maybe a gated community and everybody has a Rottweiler behind that fence. That's what we're like walking through this earth. huh? There's snares there's attack dogs prowling after us. When they see us coming, they just want to growl and attack, but yet they're being held back by something. So you understand what I'm saying? So there is something different about this, this, this Christianity that we have. So I was reading <clears throat> through Hebrews chapter 6, and I found this term, and I thought maybe we would explore that today, get a better understanding of what it is, why we hope the way we do, why we believe the way we do, and what we have that's different from any other religion. In Hebrews chapter 6, starting in verse 13, says, When God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. What that means is that, Whenever a person is making, say, a man-to-man covenant, because people understand that even with good intentions, your word will fail. Got me? You can, you can say, for instance, something as simple as a car note. You know, many of them are for, you know, when I was 
younger and, and buying cars, they were 36 months you could pay for a car. Of course, a car was only about $3,500 at that time. Don't judge me. I felt y'all. Everybody got their calculators out. <laughs> Ooh, how old is you? I ain't telling you. But nowadays, they're five years, six years, stuff like that. So when you make your, your loan or your application for your loan, they want to make sure, number one, you got a job. I don't think anybody's crazy enough to go in there and say something like, God sent me to get a car and don't have no job. Got to give you a car to take in there to convince them people to let you buy it. Say amen, somebody. And don't even be thinking about going there. Don't don't go there with me. <laughs> and so, but what they're looking for is a surety that you will pay. And they get as much surety as they can you have to have a job they, they want you to be uh, have an address where you're living and, and hopefully you'll be you've been there for a length of time they can see that you're not off and on homeless all that kind of stuff they look at your credit rating they may ask if they are shaky to get somebody to co-sign i got to have somebody with flesh on that's stronger than you in the money so that if something goes wrong and then your your automobile is forfeited if you default on the payments for a length of time. So we can see that man's word means almost nothing. You got it? So everybody is looking for security. They're looking for what we call surety. That word, you'll see that in the Bible quite a bit. Surety in, in its most uh, common context means a cosigner. Huh? The Bible says, the Bible forbids us to strike hands because that meant you were their cosigner. Huh? You dropped that quick, didn't you? <laughs> Still working. <laughs> Women need to scare men. You know, when they talk, when they talk about money, they need to go like that and miss your hand. Hey, what, what, what? Are you talking to me? Uh, still working. It's still working. But, <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about. The Bible on the, there are two proverbs will say surety for a stranger and who, who strikes hands is sure. You got me? And so there is a place where, there is a place where you can understand what you're doing and you can strike hands with somebody and secure them in life. We've talked about this. There were covenants that people could make man to man. And so what they would do, they would swear against one another's life and the life of their seed and their seed's seed. So if you got to be friends, if you cut a covenant, of, they called it a covenant of strong friendship. You'll see that word, strong friendship. In this, in this scripture, we're going to talk about strong consolation. Okay? So what we're talking, when we use that word strong, we're talking about something that lasts beyond the lifetime so it's sworn against a higher power. So when people would make a man-to-man covenant, they believed that God heard, honored, 
and enforced their words to one another. So in this case, it says God, because he could swear by no higher, he swore by himself. Huh? So now you don't have man in the picture at all. You've got God swearing by God's power against his own life for me and for you and for everybody in the world that we can enter into a strong friendship with him. Anybody can do this. For God so loved the world he gave his that whosoever. This isn't just for good people or the monks. You know, in some religions or people who can attain to some kind of uh, uh, earthly self-denial so that they can be accepted by, by that God. This is for the whosoevers. Anytime, anyone, you can offer this to anybody. And God, because he could swear by no higher, if he could find somebody more powerful than him, he'd have found that person. But he looked around, he says, well, there's nobody up here higher than me. I guess I'll stake my own life against my promises. Huh? So he stakes his own life against his promises. I don't care what they are. God, I, I, I need you to, to give me peace of mind. Well, if you don't get peace of mind, I'll take my own life. So I give that to you. Huh? It's an oath and a promise, folks. This is far different from somebody telling you they're going to do something for you and you look around to find it done and it ain't done. This is nothing like that. And so this really is what separates us as believers, as Christians, apart from other people. You have an individual relationship with God, but yet our relationship with him is the same. He tailor makes it to fit you. When he found you, he, it, was, it was a situation that maybe if Nola were in your situation, she'd have shrugged and not received God. But you accepted him. It was tailor-made for you, but what he did for you, he'll do for her too. So this is a, a God who will do anything for anybody, but he makes it so that you believe that you're the only one he cares about. Because he has nothing but time for you. In fact, when you haven't been in his presence for a while, you get you feel ashamed of yourself. God, you know what? I should have worshipped you three times this week and it came across my mind to lift my hands and I didn't do it because I thought I was too busy. And here I am asking you for something again. And it makes no difference to him. Huh? Makes no difference to him. You know, an earthly father has got to be in a certain good mood before you can ask them some certain things. I mean, that's true about everybody. Huh? Well, mama, daddy coming. I need so-and-so-and-so-and-so for school. Well, wait a minute and let him get in the house first. <laughs> huh? <laughs> You got to mellow that rascal down for you. <laughs> you get him talking to him before you get them grays and greens off of him or get the necktie off, you know. 
My my late husband used to come in and snatch it off so hard. I think, my goodness, you gonna take it and neck off one? But I knew better than ask him for some money when he he got that. <laughs> you know, it didn't, didn't you let them be by themselves because they know how to mellow themselves out. Get they self. You don't make that. This is no time for be zhuzhing, You know, with them. <laughs> It's female trick number zero zero one for those of you ladies who are taking them. You don't judge when they like that. You let them calm themselves down. They know how to get themselves <laughs> in the zone. <laughs> you know, that's just going to add to the problem. <laughs> but a good father, a good husband, a good parent can only deal with needs of other people when they have their own needs met and they feel secure in themselves but God isn't like that he's not like that he has the the power within himself to continually release to all of humanity everything that we need on a consistent basis no stops no hold-ups that's what separates us from other faiths because we as Christians wouldn't even think of our God as being limited in any way. Now we may think that we can't obtain certain things, but usually it's a reflection on us, but not on him. So how is it that we're able to have that kind of confidence in God where we, we don't inflict any weakness on him, we don't inflict any frustration, any tiredness of us? On him, we, we can freely go to him, even if you know you haven't been to God in a long time, and you shouldn't be up in his face begging again, you done messed up real bad, you've been running from him actually. And then you can just turn to him and know with a certainty that he'll hear you, he'll help you, he'll give you, and he'll treat you like you've never been a gone, you've never missed anything, that you, there's something about what we have in him that gives us this strong consolation. It's what that is. And so he says here in uh, Hebrews chapter 6, God swore by himself, saying, Surely, that's a covenant term. That word means, I stake my life on this. I stake my life on this. Now, people have a hard time stretching the carnal imagination to understand that what God is saying is that before I will, would not fulfill anything I've told you I'm going to do for you, from getting you a job to getting you a husband to giving you healthy children to paying all their dental bills to paying for their college, their school, their, and before I would not do any of that before you, I'll take my own life. Because I've sworn an oath on my life. Now what did he do to prove that he would take his own life? What can you all think about Christianity? What do you know about the Lord? Absolutely, he's done it already. He sacrificed the life of his only seed. Now, what that means in human terms. Say, Nola, if, if you uh, told me 
that uh, Pastor Barb, you know, when when I'm gone, uh, if you outlive me, the kids are going to be here and take. But so so suppose something, God forbid, happened to all of the children. What do I have? See, I don't have anything. So what that did was that ended our relationship initially. That's what God did in Jesus. He took his life and he ended the old covenant because it was weak. It was weak because it had to be carried out through weak human flesh. So we were looking for your kids to take care of me. They're not here. And we got rid of that because it was weak. It depended upon them outliving her and me for me to be taken care of. But what did God do with that weakness? He raised it up in overcoming strength. So the fact that he was able to raise up his son to live everlasting means that all weakness that's in humanity, all weakness that's in you and in me has been already dealt with, carried to the cross, taken away. Why is that important? Well, that'll help you when you think that because you've done so much bad since you've been a believer, you can't get back in no more. See, that'll help you there. Because all the weakness has been taken out of the covenant that we live in now, and there's only strength on our part anymore. Hey, you thought you couldn't do that, but you woke up one morning and you were praying in tongues for an hour like God told you to do it. And you've been doing it consistently ever since then. You thought you couldn't get your mind straight and quit worrying and being fearful about your bills. But you woke up one day and that fear was gone and you went to test. You started thinking about them bills to see if they would bug you anymore and it wasn't there anymore. And so the weakness that was in the covenants that God had had because they depended on us as mere humans to do our part ain't there anymore. Because the Bible says we are dead to sin and alive unto righteousness if we'll reckon ourselves that. Huh? It's up to us to reckon ourselves that way. The devil fights you so hard on that. I'm telling you, one day you get up and you realize your sins are forgiven. And you're a new creature and you try walking through this earth like you've never done anything wrong. And see if the devil won't bring 15 people to tell you. You ain't looking right. You ain't smelling right. You ain't thinking right. You ain't acting right. Ain't nothing right about you. And you're the, as far as God is concerned, you're the rightest you ever been in your life. Because you're not sitting up thinking about what you used to do and who you messed up with and all them old drug buddies and when they're going to show up again and I'm going to church and they might show up and wave some stuff in front of my nose. What am I going to do? You're a new creature. You don't even think that way anymore. You don't even think about weakness. Trust me. The enemy then, he has a second strategy after that. After you pass that point, his strategy then is to set up extra traps. Well, maybe I'm too confident. And people say I'm arrogant. And I'm cocky and I'm mean and all that kind of stuff. I'm mean to every devil that's trying to pull me back in the pit that I can be mean to. And I don't care. Because my faith and my covenant are taking me somewhere 
and it ain't taking you, and it ain't taking you at the same pace, so I don't need you to roll with me. I need you to obey God just like I'm obeying God, and we'll meet there somewhere, won't we? He says, surely blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply you. So he, he tells Abraham something different. If you look at the conversations Abraham had with God up until a certain point, there was a promise there. And God started him off that way. A promise is something like a nibble. See if they'll follow. You got me? It was that way during the Old Covenant because God could make appearance to anybody he wanted to. But he had certain people that if he could draw them out into a covenant with him and get them to follow him without condition, then he could really do something in that person's life. He could do what he wanted to do in that person's life. He says, and so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. And that one sentence encapsulates probably about 30, 20 years of Abraham's life that patiently endured is something that we have to make note of because that's what we need that's what's going to get you from promise to reality and living in it is the patient endurance you can only do that if you've got strong consolation from god you can't do it just you know one day you want to follow god and the next day you don't you know there's there are people who are are confess or profess to be followers of christ but they don't have the internals set up the same way you know what i'm saying there's a a something missing because if you can follow god for a season and be diligent and let an offense cause you to drop out see there's in the internals on the inside of you something hasn't hasn't been worked out yet see and oftentimes it's worked out in conflict You'll be thinking, well, I finally got rid of old Bubba and he was working my last nerve. And then you get three people in the church just like Bubba and they work your nerve too. You got me? And so, absolutely. And so the inners need to get worked out. See, that's why the devil does that to people. He, he, you know, he, he wants to keep you weak and small and petty about everything and easily moved. You got me? Usually, if God calls you somewhere, my, my advice to people is don't let anything move you from there. And see, oftentimes, they think it's people trying to move them, but it's them moving themselves. Because they haven't understood love. They understand the love of God and how that works in a human being. So there's some inner working that still has not quite been worked out for them. Or they could have patient endurance. Huh? Because oftentimes people are drawn to groups because of something in the natural that they like. And God will put up with that for a season. But there comes a time when you got to start letting him work the internals. So that you can be stable. So you can quit moving from place to place. Imagine if this plant could take, uh, take on a life that if it didn't like the soil or the yard it was in, it could pull itself up and move to another yard. It would never get this big. It'd be like that. Huh? 
And that's why oftentimes what we call carnal believers move around so often or they drop out. You know, how can you love God and not come to church for years at a time? You got me? Or, or get the crumbs off the table uh, off of Christian television. Does not the word say not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together? It says, as is the custom of some. You don't want to be the some. Amen. Our custom is to have regular fellowship one with another. We need one another. It may be the one person you think you don't need that you need. Because that person is causing a maturity to come on the inside of you that's needed for you to understand what you have in God. I'm going to say it again. Because in order for you to understand, appreciate, and embrace what you have in God, you have to be able to have an experience that causes you to walk into it. Or else it's just out there as a promise. You never know it's there. You never partake of it. And so God has designed that for all of us, and it's usually designed in a fellowship in a Christian community. And we get mad because them people ain't nice over there. They make you feel so. Well, he made you nothing. You felt that on your own. Huh? All we was doing, trying to love you and get the meeting going. And, well, you know, that pastor, she ignored me. I didn't ignore you. I, God didn't point you out to me. Blame him. You understand? Or maybe I missed it. I'm sorry. Can you forgive me? Let's go on and be friends. Huh? I mean, it's like that. And so this consolation that we have allows us to patiently endure situations that are not to our natural liking, not to the liking of your natural man. You need to know this. Your spirit man is content in God all the time. Your spirit man could care if you lived in a palace, if you lived in a hovel, if you lived in the back seat of your car, if you lived where you lived and how much you have. How do I know that? Because there are believers worldwide. And some of them are very rich and some of them are very poor, but they're all blessed of God. You got me? They're all blessed of God. And so we have something. We have something in our God. And he says here, so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. He says, for men truly swear by the greater. Huh? When you go to buy your car, you're swearing on that car that you're going to pay for it. Hmm? And if you break your promise on the monthly payments, they come and pull the car. Huh? Sometimes they pull more than that because of that car is devalued in any way. Then you're going to have to pay the difference if you default. So the best thing to do is not not commit for more than what you are willing to give. Huh? It's the truth. You don't. God doesn't. That's why He says He has no delight in fools. It's foolish to make a vow and you have no intention of paying it. It's called deceit and trickery. And so God doesn't want His children living. He doesn't encourage us to do those things. And so he says here, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise for men verily swear by the greater. And an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. So if you want peace between two parties in a legal sense, you make sure that there's enough collateral 
to take care of the lender so that the borrower can have peace. So the lender has peace and the borrower has peace when there's an oath that swears by something more valuable than what they're dealing with down here that that lender will be satisfied if for some reason the borrower defaults. And so God swore by himself. He is the only one who knew he could satisfy himself where we're concerned. Only one. He said, I'll go ahead and I'll, I'll swear against my own life. And to show humanity that I mean what I say, I'll take the life of my future and sacrifice that to show to them that I mean what I say. That this is an everlasting covenant. And it's built against my own existence. Before God would renege on one promise he makes to us, this world and everything with it would blow up. It would cease to exist. Huh? Because his word is that strong. Now let me tell you what that does for you. You may not be able to wrap your brain around that right now. But I'm telling you what that does for you is it keeps you in church when you feel like you don't want to come anymore. It keeps you giving to God when you say, God, I gave so-and-so last time and I don't think I really received all the return I gave for you the last time. But you give it again, don't you? Because your faith does not rest in what you see and what you know in the natural, but it rests in something much higher than that. And so that strong consolation that if you keep doing what you know is right to do, it'll pay off in the end for you, is really what keeps us going as believers. That's the thing that separates Christianity from any other faith, any other way of believing, any other anything. That is what separates us out is the oath and the promise. And it works something in you. Because you don't even have to read Hebrews 6 and it works in you anyway. <laughs> this thing is kept believers. There's something that comes in that gives us strong consolation. Even in the midst of difficulties that we may have amen now listen i don't have to go in this little office over here because i think i'm losing my slip i've never lost my slip before but i think i'm think i'm either going to step out of it i'm beyond embarrassed folks i mean you know i don't embarrass real easily but Lord howard turn your head he goes, and Big Howard, get the camera off of me. Y'all gonna want to say, this is the day Pastor Barb lost her slip on the, on the TV. Now it's for everybody to talk about. Yeah, talk about me. See, the devil, the devil don't want me to, <laughs> I'm cool now. Well, let me, let me, <laughs> I think. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You know men yank on stuff all the time in front of the camera. You don't even know what they be doing before. Us females. Us females. Yeah, us females. That's Chuck's slip anyway. I know it's a stolen one because I ain't bought a slip. Well, we won't even go there. But anyhow, I'm blessed. We have strong consolation. Praise God. So he says here, and, and it says here, so we're in God, verse 17, willing more abundantly. This is very important. 
He's more abundantly willing to show us these things. He says, wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel. You know what means to mutate something means? To change it. God's not a, an alien where he gets cloned or, or, you know, he's going through evolution or any crazy stuff. This is the immutability of his counsel. Once God makes his mind up, it's made up forever. He don't change. It don't change. See, when you got saved, the first day you got saved, you was all in love with Jesus. And then 10, 15, 20 years down the road, you say, oh, man. <laughs> he still sees you. It's his little, little brand new convert who was so in love and excited about him. He still sees you that way. And he'll treat you like he sees you that way. Amen. He always sees us in the best light. Amen. And so he says here two immutable things, the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation, who had fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before him. So we've all come here like beggars, uh, runaways, perpetrators. This is how we come. We fled for refuge. See, this is all. When we come to Christ, that's all we're looking for. Lord, help me. Everybody comes. We're fleeing for refuge. You weren't looking to get hooked up for life with God. You weren't looking for none of this stuff in here. Somebody told you, come to church with me, and God will help you. You're in a bad way. You might have been on drugs. You might have been on whatever, off something, or on something you wasn't supposed to be on. Off something you wasn't supposed to be on. But, you know, you came, you fled from that trouble, and you wanted to lay hold on hope. Just, just somebody telling you it was going to get better. That's what you wanted to hear. And then you get in here, and you find all this. Is behind door number one. And that's the only door you ever need. Huh? So we fled from refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. Which hope you have is an anchor of your soul. That's what keeps you from getting stupid and leaving God forever. And falling out with his people permanently. And there's a hope there that's an anchor for your soul. I've seen it. I've seen people get embarrassed to come to church. Somebody started a lie about her of them, or they got a, in some trouble with the law, and then got embarrassed to even come, you know, and stayed away. And then somehow they're drifting out there, but they only drift so far because they knew they can recall at one time. I believed God could help me, and I was on my way to getting help. I don't even know what made me stop going. Or what derailed me. But they have that their soul gets anchored and they only drift out so far. That hope pulls you back into because as long as you can recall it and you can dream it and you can remember it in a positive light, there's a strong consolation working in you. See, Christians know you're never totally cast out. See? And we're smart enough, we shop denominations, don't we? Well, you know, I was over with them people and, and they wasn't right, so I'm going over here to try this one. See, that strong consolation draws you to do those things. Even though you don't fit in maybe with one congregation, there's hope there that you'll fit in with another one. Amen? And so this is something that is, is 
built into the Christian experience. It's built into the born again experience. It's something that God provides for us on his own without having us to ask for it or he have to manufacture it. It's something that's built into the Christian experience. So the word consolation, we need to look at that for a minute. Consolation really means to call near. To call near. This really word, this word in the Greek is the same word as the word for comforter with a capital C that Jesus uses in John 14, I think it's 14 or 15, where he said, John 14, 16, Jesus says, I will send you another comforter. So consolation here is the same root word as comforter referring to the Holy Spirit. When the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit as a comforter, that word says it's someone who is called alongside of you. Huh? He's called alongside of you. Now what does that mean? That means if if Nola is thinking, well, you know, I'm just tired of waiting on God to bless me with this. And she she says, well, I'm just going to go and and get what I need. Then the Holy Spirit does this. He comes alongside of her and he begins to let her lean on him and what he has for her. And in her weakness, she lets him take over. And they eventually get where he wants her to go and not where she had in mind to go and when she left the house. Because it wasn't good, trust me. Okay, <laughs> thank you, Ms. <laughs> I know for me it wasn't good. Huh? I, God blesses me in jewelry stores. Don't you dare judge me. Don't you dare judge me don't you, don't you? <laughs> but it's happened more than one time in my life and at first I thought it was like a joke I thought I could hear God laugh about it because it was you know it was kind of amusing you know it's a sense of humor that's where we get ours from if we'll let it work you know what I'm saying <laughs> if you don't get too religious it'll work in you <laughs> but uh I was in there up to no good. Well, no, I wasn't. I went innocently. I took a watch that wasn't working to get a battery. Innocent. And now listen, this. Yeah, I hear somebody say, you know, so don't be judging me. I see people saying, you don't have to go to no jewelry store for a battery. They sell them in the in them little things in the mall, a kiosk in the mall. They, don't they have a watch? Well, they won't fit in my kind of watch I have, so I can't take mine up in there. So don't judge me. Uh, I gave up cheap watches, cheap liquor, and cheap mitten. Oh, wake up. Ah, <laughs> oh, whatever. Oh, I'm saved. I ain't stupid. Whatever. Where was that? But my jewelry store blessing. And I was talking to this gentleman about some, I had talked to him before about, you know, keeping an eye out 
for certain things. And we're just chatting. He had time. Store was empty. It's a recession. You know, nobody's in there and, you know, that kind of stuff. So chatting. And <clears throat> he was, I was telling him I needed appraisal. So he was looking at the rings. He said, did you know this one's got a chip in it? And I said, well, I know it had had a crack in it. I said, but I didn't know the chip was out now, you know, because everybody tells you, well, that's going to eventually, you know, so it. And he said, oh, he said, did you let your insurance company know? Hmm? Word of word of knowledge. <laughs> I don't know if he saved or not, but I'm receiving that. Hmm? And so he tells me what to do and, and how to do it. And sure enough, you know, there I get a check for the full value of the ring, and they don't want the ring. Because they don't, what are they going to do with it? You got me? You understand what I'm talking about? And so God will do these things for you. Now, why does God do these things for you? Because he wants us to be made whole. Because he can come alongside of us and strengthen us. Even though my, when I went in that jewelry store, I honestly was there for the battery. But the strong consolation that the Holy Spirit provides came alongside of me and undergirded me and led me into a blessing that I did not know was there for me. That's the work of strong consolation. See, if God can do that for me, he'll do it for you. And I tell you one thing, anybody can do that for me, I ain't leaving. You got me? I am not. I have found it. Huh? In the words of the late Mr. Michael Jackson, this is it. Huh? And you go no further. And that's why God gives us strong consolation. So that we will know this is it. And you don't need to look for another. You don't need to go anyplace else. You don't need to church shop and church hop and all those kinds of things and go to the next big place that somebody says is out there. Because you found him. And you're content to go where he leads you. He gives you strong consolation. See, we got to change our mind about what the word console means. Because when you think about console, you think about somebody and you cry, they cry on your shoulder and they just pat you and move on. He never leaves us or forsakes us. He does not ever move on. Move on to what? There's nobody else he's called to be here for but us. You got me? So he is not moving on. He's never tired of us. No matter how much we think we're wearing God out, we've only, all the people that have ever lived forever have not wore him out yet. Because he staked his life on this. He can't swear by anybody higher, so he swore by himself. He says we have hope as an anchor for the soul. Thank God for that. Because the devil will give you some crazy ideas, boy, about God and God's people. You know, sometimes, you know, sanctified haters. You understand what I'm saying? It's <laughs> they hate you in a religious way, in a loving way, in a forgiving way. You know what I'm saying? And, and you know, all of that. You know, I've been a hater at a little bit of time in my life. You know, I mean, of things spiritual. Thinking if I saw God use people that I thought were great, he wouldn't use me. 
So he had to take that out of me and give me to understand. He said, I'm the same God to you as I am to them. He said, maybe I haven't called you to deal in the same way with humanity as they are, but I'm the same God to you as I am to them. You know, somehow if you can, parents endeavor to do this a lot when they have kids who, you know, hate a little bit. You know, always kids like to compare how you treat each other in the household. And parents are always seeking for a way to convince them that they love them all the same. We have strong consolation. That convinces us. Because I'm telling you, once you have that, which when, once the knowledge of what God has done comes into your soul, and you adopt that, that, that care and that consolation that he gives you, then you're immovable. Nothing can convince you that there's anything else that's out there. You're just, you're just in it. And you don't care what goes on. You don't care how rough it gets. You don't care about any of that stuff. You're just in it. And so the word consolation is the same root as, as the one comforter that's used for the Holy Spirit. So that lets you know that this isn't an emotional thing. This is something built into his personhood. This is so much a part of him that he can't do anything else but this. It means comfort, solace, entreaty. Know what you do when you entreat somebody? You speak to them convincingly to get them to be helped. In other words, if you're not convinced that God wants to do something for you, then it's the Holy Spirit's job to work to convince you. It's not your job to run from this person and that person and asking them questions to see if they can blow you up or pump you up. This ain't a pump up thing. This is way beyond that. This is something in your internal workings that he's able to work in you to help you. He's able to look inside of you and see why you don't quite believe. And he puts in there what you need. You see him doing that with Jesus. He was the comforter that helped Jesus in his ministry. When Jesus came to the, the, the Syrophoenician woman, remember the woman that had the daughter that was grievously vexed to the devil and Lord help me and all this kind of stuff and he gets talking back and forth to her. That's what you call entreating her. Now, let me tell you where earthly ministers and, and preachers who think they got it all make their mistake. They don't know how to entreat people in the Holy Ghost. Because many times people who are limited in their faith will be rebuked, cast aside, is not having enough faith to get the job done. You got me? Where Jesus, even though that was true for that lady, she didn't have enough faith going. Or he'd have healed the girl the first time she asked him. But he kept talking to her, entreating her, fixing what was wrong on the inside of her, pulling that out and letting her faith rise up until he was able to say, Woman, go. Your daughter's healed. Your faith has made her well. You got me? And that's what the Holy Spirit does with us in every instance. That's why we have strong consolation. It's not up to you to confess the word a million times so your faith will be built up. Huh? 
I mean, that covenant's done away with because it was weak through the flesh. Didn't we just say that not too long ago? That thing, that thing about the works. Huh? Now, there's works of righteousness that we need to do. You know, keep listening to the word. Faith comes by hearing. Don't quit doing that. But don't think there's something you can get up to do to convince God your faith is real big when it ain't there yet. It's the Holy Spirit's job to get your faith there, wherever there is. That's why he comes as the other comforter, so he can give you strong consolation. See, this strong consolation takes you from not wanting something in life to now you can dream big dreams in God. Because he supplied what was, what was missing inside of us when we first began this thing. That's why we believe strongly. We're consoled strongly. What makes a difference between a person who gets up out of a wheelchair finally and one who goes home angry and never comes back to a healing meeting? It's the Holy Spirit. It's a strong consolation. Because the Holy Spirit can tell you, well, you're going to get it. And you believe him. Huh? You believe him. Anybody else can tell, come up to you and tell you the same thing and it has no effect on you. Are you hearing me? I can tell Chuck, Chuck, don't worry about it. God's going to do it. And she'll go home just as depressed as she was. When she came in. But if she would ever just say, God, what am I going to do? I don't know what to do about this. I don't know what to do about my job, about my child, about whatever. And he began to entreat her and speak to her and let her lean on him for strength, for understanding, for encouragement. She comes away there peaceful, joyful, happy. Confessing, understanding, why? Because by two immutable things, by which it was impossible for God to lie. Impossible for him to lie. So if you have doubt, you really in a little bit of way believe he's lying. Don't you? But he says here, he's done two things here that make it impossible for him to lie. Do you have to just believe that and take his word for it? I said, no. I give you strong consolation. I've sent somebody who convinced you that I don't lie. It's not your job to convince yourself that God is going to do anything. That's the Holy Spirit's job to convince you that it's impossible for God to lie. He will convince you. You don't have to worry about, well, did I read the word? Or what? No. Well, did I fat? Who thinks like that? Crazy religious people, once you run out of ideas for how you messed up, you start going way back into books, huh? Trying to find stuff you think might work. So the answer is no, you haven't done any of those things enough, nor were they ever required for you to believe. What's required for you to believe is to accept the fact that you have somebody who brings power and strength in a way that undergirds you, supports you, walks alongside of you, holds you up when you fall. 
pulls you back when you start going the wrong way? You ever started out somewhere to go and your car could you couldn't get your money? Well, what was I? What was I going? Well, I guess I go back on home now. I can't. Be, that's him. Strong consolation, huh? He's a strong consoler. That word consolation not only means to entreat; it means to deposit. It's something put down alongside. That's your collateral. He's your collateral for everything God's promised you. He has been put down in your life as a surety. The Bible says, calls him the Holy Spirit of promise. It says we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise until the day of redemption. He's the spirit over your promises. He's the guardian over your promises. He's the protector over your promises. You ever think about something and you say, boy, I haven't prayed about that in a while. I wonder if. (laughs) I'm not going to even go where I was thinking about going, okay? We don't have time for that. But, you know, something will come to you. You say, oh, man, I, I wonder if I should pray about that's him. He's the holy guards over your promises. Yeah. You know, sometimes when you're waiting on something and it takes a while, and you start thinking to yourself, "Why did I forget to pray about that? Right. Or what happened to that? Oh, I used to just ask God about that all the time. It's His job to bring that back to you. It ain't your job to keep up with that like that. Are you kidding me? Who does that kind of stuff? Man, my brain can barely keep up with what's in the manual and what I got to do. And The Bible says he'll bring to your remembrance all things. The fact that it's been away from your remembrance just means that he hasn't wanted you to be conscious of dealing with it. When it's not brought up into your mind, that means it's in the dealings of God. That doesn't mean it's not being worked on. Listen, if God let us work on everything all the time, you know what a mess it would be? Huh? It's a love-hate relationship with most things we have in our lives. It's not that right. So he takes it out of our recollection. And folks, that's a blessing. Because sometimes you ain't even your halfway sanctified self. And if you had to carry all the burdens of all the prayer requests and all the needs and all the all the in your conscious awareness all the time, you'd be wanting to quit. So the Holy Spirit, because he gives you strong consolation, strong help, strong support, strong patience, strong anything that you need during those times, he comes through and when it's time for you to speak over them or time for you to help them with your input and your faith and your prayers, he brings them up to you and you present them to the altar of God and they're worked on. And after that, he takes them away and God works on them when you're not even aware of it. Mm-hmm. That's why a lot of times our, our blessings come suddenly. Huh? I had totally forgot I was praying about that. And then all of a sudden, up jumps the answer. 
You got me? The suddenlies of God. Why? Because they're they're moved away from us so that they so that we have peace about them at all times. See, God will take some things away from our awareness so that we can have peace about them at all times. I remember a testimony of this woman that that was uh, in a church. She had been divorced for many years and she was in a church and she had gotten saved over that period of time. And she was she was wanting to work for God, just really excited about God and her Christianity. And and so they said, well, we'll go out today and visit the homeless. And so on one of those visits, she ran into a man who was her ex-husband. And she said, you know, after I got saved, I prayed for his salvation. This is it. Got me? So now her issue is not, does she really want him saved, but do you want to get involved in it for real? You got me? You need strong consolation in certain situations. Because the idea of reconciliation is very different from the act of reconciling. You got me? So you've got to be ready for both of them. Huh? So you need strong consolation, man. And, you know, she's looking at this man and he, I mean, homeless, the whole blown up nine yards. And she was afraid to tell anybody, you know, at a church, she's all nice and hair done and looking like a little church lady with her little pals. And, and so God began to deal with her, what we call dealing with people, strong consolation. See, she doesn't need to get off the hook. She needs somebody to reassure her it's going to work. That's strong consolation. Weak consolation is, well, you know, you don't have to worry about nobody like that because, you know, we got a whole team of people to pray. We'll pray for me. It's your husband? Oh, yeah, we'll pray for him. Uh-uh, you need strong consolation. Because you prayed for this man to be saved. And the Bible says you either be reconciled to him or you remain She'd have remained single all this time, so what do you think God's been working on? Uh Weak consolation will tell you God got something better for you. Huh? God will get you somebody. It ain't, uh uh, honey. You got your job, you got your house. He ain't going to get you nobody homeless. Yes, he will. Because you would go out there and find somebody homeless and bring them in there and give them a bleach bath and take them up to the altar. He'll do better for you than you will do for yourself. Hmm? So you need strong consolation. You don't need no weak stuff. See, the stuff that runs through our minds is very weak. You get all kind of ideas. Well, God wouldn't do that to you. Yes, he would. Because you asked him to. See, when you was in your right, non-hating Christian mind. Can I say that in church? And you prayed for Bubba to get saved in a fit of holiness and righteousness and gentleness and all that fruit of the Spirit stuff. See, he heard that. huh? So now he's come for your words. He didn't put the words in your mouth. That was your words. Huh? And, and the Holy Spirit helped you to form that prayer. And the one who helped you to form that prayer is going to help you to carry through your part in the reconciliation process. He's going to do it all. 
And he has great patience to wait for you to wake up to that fact. I said, he has great patience to wait for us to wake up to that fact. Remember Miss Audrey Ward? Parents have been divorced. How long were her parents divorced? You have any idea? Yeah. Dad went off and married somebody else. Second wife dies. They get married again. Huh? Oh, he has great patience. He has great patience to wait on us. To He has great patience. Huh? Got all the time in the world. He got more time than you got. He's the ancient of days. Huh? He don't get in a hurry for anybody. Consolation, it means to be at hand, to be prompt. The Bible says he's a very present help in trouble. He's right there in your mess. And you think you've been hiding it from him. But the Bible says he's very present. He's right there with you all the time. Been there all along while you was messing up and all of that. Something to put down alongside. That's your, that's your, that's, I mean, that's something to scream about. I mean, you've had to, for your salvation to be real, there's got to be an assurance that that can be carried out by you. He's your security deposit for when you get into heaven. Did you know that as long as the Holy Spirit's dwelling in you, that unlocks the door to the key to heaven? He's your security deposit to get in there. And he said he'll never leave you or forsake you. Huh? He will never do that. So he won't renege. It's impossible for God to lie. Not that he he won't lie. He can't lie. So we can depend on the, the comforter, the one that gives us this strong consolation. The word strong, I'm going to go over that and that would probably be all I have time for. It means forcible. It means boisterous. And mighty. Is the Holy Spirit forcible, boisterous, and mighty? You better believe he is. He's gentle also. He's gentle with humanity when he needs to be. But against the things that are against you, he's very forcible, he's very mighty, and he's very boisterous. You got me? He's perfect in everything he does, and he knows how to be that way. So when we talk about strong consolation, if it has all these qualities, it's got to be speaking of personhood and not just an idea. It's talking about the Holy Spirit. It means strong and valiant. That word strong also means to prevail. Oh, you didn't get the job this time? Oh, really? Did you tell him you still want the job? Well, no, I was thinking maybe God changed his mind. Why would you think something? Where'd that thought come from? He ain't got to go to work. You do. He works all the time. Why would he change his mind about where you got to go? Who thinks like that? But see, the devil will give you them crazy thoughts. Well, maybe that's not the right door. No, you're just scared. Huh? And you know something strong, boisterous, forceful, and powerful to get you back up and get you out there and go and knock on another door and knock on that door again. See? 
kick it down. So you need somebody who will give you that consolation where you will prevail. It's not just crying with you and patting you on the shoulder and telling you you're going to be all right. He's telling you, get up, put on some clothes, do that hair. Huh? Put some lipstick on. The whole nine yards because we're going to go and prevail. Huh? When you go to prevail, you dress like you're going to prevail. When you go to prevail, you act like you're going to prevail. Huh? And you don't go in there begging for nothing either. Huh? You wait for him to tell you what to say. Sometimes all you got to do is smile. And people tell you later, you know what? There was somebody else we wanted to hire more than you, we thought. But I just couldn't get your smile out of my I mean, for some people, that's about all they're capable of sometimes. You, you understand what I'm saying? The Holy Spirit says, now listen, you don't have to say nothing on this one. Just go in there and smile. Get your hair done. Put your pearly whites. Put the little strips on your teeth the night before. Get the right lipstick on this time. Don't get no crazy clown colors on you. I'm looking all crazy. Just, just do what I tell you to do. You know God even hide the wrong lipstick from you sometimes. I've had that happen to me. <laughs> but they'll tell you something like that and God just sitting up grinning in heaven. <laughs> I've told you I'd get you that job. huh? But whatever he needs to do, he will get that for us. Why? Because he gives us strong consolation that God is not lying to us. He's going to do what he says he's going to do. He's, and he has to make us know that. See, that's the Holy Spirit's job to make you know those things. It's not your job to just keep drumming and drumming and drumming. You know how some of these people get these tapes on, get their earplugs in, they think that they listen to it over and over and over again, they get an A on the test. We ain't doing that. You know what I'm saying? We, what we are doing, we're allowing the word to minister to our souls and our spirits. So that we can have confidence in him that made the promise, not in us. Who will get in there and mess it up every time. You give us half a chance, man, and we come home without the goods every single time. So the Holy Spirit works with our weakness. What Paul was saying, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. If I can't do nothing, then I know to go in there and shut up and not say nothing until God tells me to speak. And the people say, I just remember your smile. And you say, I wonder what it was about it. Oh, that was all I did was smile. That's all God needed from you was to show up and receive what he had for you. You don't have to convince nobody to hire you. Are you crazy? You hired already. All you got to do is just don't screw up. You got me? Just don't. Don't get no big ideas. You know, I've had people say things like that. I know that job is mine. Hold on to that. Because when you get that confident, the devil's going to try to talk you out of it. But if you hold on to that and go in there with that understanding and lean on him to tell you what to do, then he will, he's the one who will, will be strong for you and through you. And whatever you do, sometimes people come out and they say, I don't know if I said the right thing or not. Don't worry about that. That's up to him to make that thing happen for you. You just be there to be obedient to God. 
So, so that, that word to prevail, it also means much work. So even while you're resting, the comforter is doing much work to give you strong consolation. Much work. It's work on the outside and the natural. Work on people that are commanded to bless you. And work on the inside of you so you don't get stupid on God and mess everything up and quit. You got me? He, to be whole. To be made whole is a legal term. You saw Jesus use that a lot, didn't you? Will you be made whole? Be made whole is a doctrine they have in, 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 in the law, which means that if a person suffers an injury, they are entitled to receive full compensation as though they never suffered any loss. Now that's not even something man can do for you. Come on now. But God can. God can. Because you might go to, to, to say somebody you lost a leg and they give you $15 million. Well, that's just money. Where's the leg? I mean, if you're to be made whole, it's the way you were before you suffered the loss. Where's the leg? So they figure you can look at that money and think it's a leg like they trying to fool you. Uh-uh, now y'all, I'm on my leg. Well, you can't get that. You said you'd make me whole. How come I ain't whole? That's one of the hardest things for humanity to do is make one another whole. Huh? Man cannot do that for you. But you should have strong consolation that your God can. He can make you whole. You know, people say, well, you know, when, uh, you know, my husband left me and jilted me and I was so hurt and I was all that. Are you still living? Yeah, you have joy yet. You're about to be made whole, if not already. Huh? Because if you were still living in the land of what you lost, you wouldn't have joy. You wouldn't have hope and you wouldn't have peace. But somebody has intervened inside of you and put back things that were stolen when you were rejected and cast aside. Huh? So you don't even feel like an orphan anymore. In fact, you feel pretty good. And if Bubba meets you on a wrong day, <laughs> hmm? that's why we keep nine one one in the speed dial. Between me and you, you got me, huh? But see, you've come to a place now where God has restored those things that were stolen from you that you never thought would be right again. And I'm telling you, even if they come back, you can still have things missing. Got me? Huh? Now, I had a husband that, you know, rejected me and caused me a nervous breakdown. You got me? It's just the truth of it. And there were many days I'd look at a pan of water and try to want to boil it while he's <laughs> sleeping with one eye open. The brother knew he better not close both them eyes because I was that mad. Huh? <laughs> <You know. laughs> More Cherokee folk, I kill you. Huh? And then the, whoever the tribe, the Watusi or whoever, I kill you. Blow dark, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> we had them both on the right hand and on the left. <laughs> I kill you. 
that's what would come up on the inside of me. You know what I'm saying? Honey, I had needed strong consolation, huh? You need strong restraint, huh? Amen. <laughs> that oath actually puts a fence around us that we can walk in love. Huh? And we can heal. And the other person can heal. The word oath, actually, one of the words for that is actually fence. That's what the oath does. It encases you and encloses you so that you don't veer away from the path that God has you on. That's why you can stay saved through a lot of difficulty. That's why you look at some saints who've been serving God for 20, 30, 40 years, and they have joy. They have excitement. They're just as, they look like young kids to God when they first got saved. You know why? Because they have strong consolation. Because they've let the comforter do his work in them. I'm telling you, folks, if we would ever, don't just skim over things when God gives you knowledge and understanding. Meditate on them. Say, God, I want that. I want to know. I want to believe. I want to have clarity on how you work with me as a comforter. How you work with me as someone who can can stay faithful to you and enjoy it. Not be a Christian that feels like I can't do this and I can't do that. And how come I'm always... No, you want to enjoy it. The comforter can entreat you and convince you that this is the best decision you've ever made in your life. I don't care how bad your days are. You got me? He can convince you of that. He can convince you even though many things that you've been waiting to come to pass have not happened. This is the best decision you've ever made in your life. Because this is different from from what anybody else can claim they have in life, folks. You have a partner in this life down here on earth. And he has assured you, assured you, that there is nothing that can come against what God has promised you. Because he staked his eternal life on it. And he eternally lives to make intercession for us according to the will of God. And he'll bring it to pass for you. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word and for understanding. We thank you, Lord, for getting us through. Amen. Thank you, Lord. We bless you. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who is able to minister to us everything we need. Thank you for that truth, Lord. It's true that you love us with an everlasting love. And oh, the depth of that love, Father. We haven't even gone into the shallows of it yet, Father. But to know that there's more gives us strong consolation. We thank you for blessing us to know these things, for helping us to know them. And I thank you, Lord, for the people here today that are under the sound of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. If you want prayer, come on up. I'll pray for you.